Mike, you can come up and um, I'll just pray for you as you continue in Proverbs as well. And dear Lord, we thank you for Mike. We thank you for his leadership around the place on the eldership team. Um, we thank you for this time we've been able to have in Proverbs as we recognize that true wisdom is only found in you. It starts with a fear of you. It filters into our heart. But not a fear that's based on terror, but a fear that's based on the knowledge and love of who you are and how big you are and the fact that our wisdom is always found in you. Um, and Lord, we pray for Mike as he um, talks to us and speaks to us about your word this morning, that your spirit will be real, that it will speak through him, but more importantly, will impact our hearts um, as a congregation, people who love you. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, Paul. Hey, just before I start, on behalf of the leadership team here at Canterbury Gardens, we want to really thank the finance committee, which is made up of Rod, of Paul, and I know Scott's come on board to help as well. We're really grateful for these guys, for their giftings, because as a leadership team, we have all these worthy causes that we'd love to, to funnel uh, our finances to. These guys are really helpful to keep us balanced, to, to help us to uh, recognise that we, we have a certain amount of income, how do we balance that? Um, and so we throw things back and forwards. We're really grateful for that team, uh, for their gifts and their willingness to serve in the way they are. Uh, as Paul mentioned, um, in case you don't know who I am, my name's Mike. And uh, if you know me well, you'll be, be aware that as a child, I was a ward of the state. Um, and being a ward of the state... Uh, you're always conscious that you are somehow different. At school, things are a little different. You go to different um, meetings with the principal. You take different letters home. Um, and you can't escape the fact that the family that you live with um, wasn't your own. And it wasn't until I was older that I truly appreciated that indeed I was one of the lucky wards of the state. I was one of those lucky, blessed individuals that uh, was eventually placed into a family that took me in and considered me their own. Even to this day, I'm a son, I'm a brother. Still, there are social workers in the background always uh, asking questions that as a child I often didn't know how to answer. Questions like, how are you being treated? Do you like living here? Do you have to do things you don't want to do? Even, I remember being asked, what kind of food are you given to eat? And it became abundantly clear as I grew up that to be critical was to invite the opportunity of being removed from the home and the people that I had grown to love. The social workers I found out in, in later years when I got to read my file um, basically said they didn't consider there would be much hope for me as a child who um, never really spoke in the orphanage, who kept to himself, they considered that there would be not much future for me. And one of the things that the family that I went to live with did was expose me to God's word. They sent me off to Sunday school. And when I became a follower of Jesus when I was 18 years old, I thought I knew why my childhood had planned out the way it did. I began to formulate in my own mind an understanding of why the course of my life had gone the direction that it had. I believe that God wanted me to share the good news of Jesus with my birth mother because I believe that it may well be the only chance she would ever get to hear the gospel. 
Many years later, I finally have had opportunity to find out about my birth mother and I was to learn that she died two years before I even became a Christian. You see, despite thinking I knew God's plan, despite in my own eyes at least having a goal and purpose behind the course of my life, despite having dreams of being able to say to her that while all seemed hopeless, God planned for something else, while being convinced in my own mind that showing my mother that what God had done for me would speak powerfully to her about what he could in turn do for her, God had other plans. And of course, that's far from the only time that I've presumed to know the mind of God in a particular circumstance, where I'd planned things, but God had something else in mind. I think it's something that most of us can relate to, is it not? That sometimes our plans, our expectations or dreams don't become a reality. In truth, real life is sometimes very different to what we hope for. We plan a career but find ourselves doing something else altogether. We dream that our spouse will live up to the vision we have for them, as unrealistic as that might be. We think our kids will be happy to always do what they've been asked to, just like you and I always are. Not. We expect our health to remain strong, that our faith could not possibly be shaken, that no temptation could ever lead us astray. We'll always have friends that will be there for us. Or it could be something as simple as planning a quiet night after a crazy busy day and the evening reveals something different. The kids are crook, there's meetings to go to, it just doesn't work out the way we plan. Plans, we all make them from trivial to significant. Sometimes they can be plans that will shape the course of our lives. Who are we going to marry? Where will we live? What kind of job will we end up in? Others are as mundane as, what are we going to have for, ch- uh, for lunch after church on Sunday? There's no way to avoid making plans. Having expectations or dreams are not wrong, but they don't always come to fruition, do they? Sometimes, sometimes we have to admit also that the plans we make are not always wise. They're not always good for us. Sometimes sin or selfishness, sometimes self-deception or a mindset that thinks, well, we're always right, gets in the way of the wise decisions that we make on a regular basis, of the plans that we make. But planning for the future, considering we want to do or accomplish, is not wrong. Working toward a particular goal, achievement or dream, it's not a bad thing. In fact, God gives us, those of us made in God's image, God gives us the intelligence, the ability and indeed the responsibility to make plans. To dream of what our future might look like and take steps toward this end. A classic example is our schooling. And we know that if we want to become a doctor um, or some other professional, there are steps that we need to take during our schooling to accomplish this. 
there are particular subjects that we need to be uh, taking and passing and doing well in in order to accomplish, to become the um, professional that we desire to be. And as I mentioned earlier, we all plan things from the mundane to the important and we work towards seeing these plans take shape. But what happens when my plans intersect with someone else's and they differ? What happens when my work requires me to move house and my spouse isn't quite so sure about that? When one wants a large family and the other doesn't? When plans for refinancing fall through? When we have differences about housing or holidays? When plans for our careers aren't working out What happens when our ministry plans are not coming to fruition? When we plan or expect certain things to happen and they don't, how do we respond? I think usually there's one of three things take place. When we plan, when we desire something and it doesn't work out. One option we have is to force our will on others. And I guess most of us have been guilty of that at times. It's what I want. I want this to happen. We have, there's another option. We can accept the will of others, grudgingly perhaps, and follow them, submit to their wishes, or, and what's very common, we can seek to compromise. And while all of these are very real options, we're going to be having a look, and if you can turn with me now to Proverbs chapter 16, and we're just going to be looking at the first four verses in Proverbs chapter 16. Because I think Proverbs 16, the first four verses, point to what's lacking in many of the perspectives we have. And this isn't just true of those of us who are Christians, this is true of the human experience, I believe. Proverbs chapter 16, and just the first four verses there. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. These verses, I believe, give us some clarity on the topic of planning, on the topic of having goals, dreams, plans for the future. And they're in two parts. Verses 1 and 2 are kind of like two sides of the one coin. There is a statement that shows something of the human condition on the one side, and yet there's also God's interaction on the other. Verses 3 and 4 actually help us to understand how we might be able to bridge the two, how to see our intentions come more into line with the plans of God. Verse 1, we read there, To you and I belong the plans of the heart, but from the Lord comes the proper answer of the tongue. Each one of us has the intellect, imagination, determination and unique skills to see many of our plans, dreams or desires come to come to being. And these are God-given. There's no hint of chastisement in these words here but a simple acknowledgement of fact. Plans of the heart belong to man. In truth, we're free in many cases to make decisions, to put our plans in motion, while all the while acknowledging we do face the consequences, good or bad, as a result of the decisions we make. 
Yet sometimes, for reasons we're not always privy to, God intervenes. A promotion doesn't come off. A job application we were hoping for, the answer's no. We're, so, we're set for a big night out of partying and our parents say, no, nah, you're not going. Relationships don't work out as we plan. The bank says we're not going to lend you that money. Our nest egg suffers a hit on the, as the stock market plummets. While we're free to some extent at least to plan the course of our lives, here's the reality. God has the right to have the final say. And sometimes, sometimes this is, this is expressed in ways we don't expect. It's happened to a number of characters in the Bible. What about a guy called Balaam? The nation of Israel is out, coming out of Egypt. Um, they're in the process of wanting to enter the promised land. And the king of Moab is shaking in his boots. And he comes to Balaam, a prophet of God, and says, if you will curse the nation of Israel, that might give me a heads up in being able to defeat them. So I'm going to make you a rich man if you'll do so. And amazing we read that God uses Balaam's donkey to open his eyes as to what's going on. And far from cursing the nation of Israel, Balaam is turned around and he blesses the nation. King David, the greatest king in Israel, King David had a passion, a great desire to want to build a house for the Lord, a temple for the Lord. And God comes to him and says, no, David, you're not the one. You won't be building a house for me. We move over to the New Testament. We read about a guy called Paul. And it's amazing how often as we read through the account in the New Testament, Paul has a plan to do something and God changes that plan. The first chapter in Romans, he says how he often wanted to go to Rome to proclaim the gospel, but he was prevented to do so. God has other plans. And it's not until much later in his life that Paul gets to go to Rome, but not as he expected. He goes in chains. And yet God uses that opportunity for him to write Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. In fact, there's a number of occasions where Paul refers in the New Testament to having been prevented, even by Satan himself, by doing what he wanted to. Acts chapter 16, he's, he's prevented by the Holy Spirit from going to where he wanted to because God wanted him elsewhere. Sometimes we have the best of intentions, but God's design, his direction, his sovereignty prevails. Yet the mystery of God and our relationship with him is that at other times, our plans might be selfish, self-centered, not caring of others. And sometimes, just sometimes, we're permitted to walk that path, while at other times, God cuts us off before the consequences uh, are sheeted home to us. I think one of the very real challenges of being a follower of Jesus is knowing the right course of action to take. When do we step out in faith? When do we wait? What if we were to make the wrong decision? What if we even have the best of intentions but it still doesn't work out the way we expect? 
Uh, this is a big topic, and if I was to tell you I had all the answers, you'd be well within your rights, I believe, to take my words with a grain of salt. I don't have all the answers. I don't know the circumstances of your life, how God is shaping, directing, using your plans and dreams for his divine purpose. I don't know if you're deliberating over a big decision or trying to understand why your plans haven't worked out as you expected. I don't know if you're suffering the consequences of a poor decision or having your goals reset because God has something else in mind for you. But I want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you with two fundamental, irrefutable truths. Firstly, God means to see his plans for you come to full fruition. He has a plan for each and every one of you. And he will see that accomplished. They are plans that are uniquely suited to you. They are for your good. Plans that will see your gifts and talents used to bless others, to build his kingdom and to bear fruit as he sees fit. We know those great words from Romans 8.28. All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. I love Paul's words to the Ephesians in chapter 1, verse 11 and 12. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. Firstly, God means to see his plans for your life come to fruition. And secondly, our God is not punitive in his dealings with us. And this is a concept that many of us struggle with, struggle to fully grasp because grace is still something that we're coming to grips with. It's hard to believe that if I make a mistake, I'm somehow not going to be punished for it. That God's in the business of punishment. He's not somewhere far off rubbing his hands together, celebrating our failures dreaming up new and inventive ways to punish us. And we're going to return to this later, but uh, it's important that we understand that is not the God that we serve. That is not the God that you know if you're a child of God. Verse 2 starts and it says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Everyone's way seems pure to them, but motives are weighed by the Lord. This verse further explains why our plans don't always align with God's. Why don't my plans always align with God? Because I think I'm always in the right. I think my plans are wise. Every one of us live our lives doing what seems right to us. No normal person sets things in motion with the full knowledge that it's going to lead to pain, to hurt, to loss or to heartache. We all do what is right in our own eyes. Some of us might be looking out for number one. Some of us are able to see the bigger picture. But each one does what seems right to them. And this is a principle that runs not just through the Bible, but indeed the old course of human history. We plot the course of our lives. Sometimes our plans come together, sometimes they don't. It might be in business, it might be in sport. It could be entertainment, music or the arts. We decide on who we're going to marry, 
what our priorities will be, what kind of parent or grandparent we're going to be. But no matter how successful we are, at least from outward appearances, the motivations, the inward spirit, that which motivates, shapes and directs our thinking is ultimately judged by the one who has all the evidence before him. You see, there's only one absolute truth. And it comes from God Almighty. He has everything before him. There is nothing that takes him by surprise. There is nothing in us that he does not know. Romans 3 tells it like it is. And Paul says, among other things, no one is righteous, no one seeks after God, everyone is turned aside, no one does good, not even one. Later on he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Everyone does what is right in their own eyes. There are always consequences for the actions we take in life. Some lead to good things, some to heartache. But regardless of where you stand in your relationship with God, fundamentally, here is, I think, something we can agree on. Whether you're a child of God or not, here's something we can agree on. The decisions that we make in life, there are consequences for, both good and bad, depending on what they are. Our actions, the decision we make, lead to consequences. If this is the case, verse 3 becomes crucial, I believe, in navigating our way through the highs and lows of life. Verse 3, commit your way, your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. If, as we've seen, our plans are ultimately subject to a greater power, if we live a life that is weighed and found wanting by the one true God, how do we reconcile our free will versus God's sovereign power? How do I align my life with the mind of God? Solomon's hearers, you recall a few weeks ago when we started in Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7. Solomon's hearers are told that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. True purpose, direction, and alignment comes through relationship with God. And we here today have the added depth and insight that the cross gives us. And I think that only serves to make the observations of Proverbs all the more meaningful. Reading these words from Solomon, on our side of the cross, we know that committing our walk, our way with the Lord, begins at the cross. It begins with Jesus. To commit our walk to the Lord without first putting Jesus in his rightful place is to assume our way is better than his. It's to assume wisdom, any wisdom, is worthwhile pursuing. And there's plenty of wisdom to pursue in the world today. In fact, even the wisdom, can I say with respect, even the wisdom found in the Bible can lead to pride, legalism, and a purely intellectual pursuit where our relationship with Jesus Christ is not the prism through which they're interpreted. Jesus' ministry, that was taken, taken so much with the time to put right what people thought they knew about the Scriptures. The leaders of the people were blind guides leading the people blindly. 
And Jesus sought, sought to allow the scales to fall from the eyes of his hearers. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. There's no other way because God in his infinite mercy and grace, um, coming back to the fact that God is not a punitive God, far from looking forward to punish us for the mistakes that we've made, even for the sin that we might have committed, far from that, he provides a scapegoat. A substitute to stand in our stead. To bear the rightful punishment for our own failure to live as we ought. Friends, committing our work, committing our way to the Lord, it begins at the cross. It begins with Jesus who calls you to reconcile with a gracious God who desires relationship with him. Everything else you hear today will mean nothing unless you're willing to see them through the spiritual eyes that only he can offer, that only he can give. The wisdom of Proverbs can be unlocked in and through that relationship with Jesus. For those of us who are disciples of Jesus, can I make two comments that I, I believe this verse speaks to? And there, there are others that other people could, could come up with. But for me, there's two things that stand out. Committing your work, committing your way to the Lord presupposes that there is an ongoing walk. The best way to know God's will, his direction, what path and plans I should take is to walk closely with him. It's like any good relationship. I know my wife pretty well. I know when she's had a bad day. I know when she's under stress. I know when school is, the pressures are piling up. And when she's wondering how she's going to find time to write reports or whatever it might be. I know when she's upset with me. The question for me is not, do I know these things, but am I going to do something to, to put them right? I'm not always good at that. But I know what's going on with my wife because we spent the last 30 years together. How presumptuous of us to expect an answer, direction or intervention from God when we don't care enough to build that relationship regularly, daily, regardless of where we are or what we're doing. Now, I'm not saying that you need to spend half an hour, set aside half an hour every day to spend with the Lord or otherwise um, you're doing the wrong thing. I'm not saying that at all. I understand that this is a busy life that we all live. But what I am saying is that relationship with Jesus ought to be the priority. Maybe it means that on your way to work, you're listening to podcasts. Maybe it, maybe it means during that important exercise regime, that's your prayer time. Whatever it might look like, make relationship with him a priority, the priority. Perhaps our struggles to know what to do when decisions need to be made is more a reflection of our own walk with the Lord. Now, I'm also not saying that some plans, some decisions don't require patience and persistence in prayer in order to see the right outcome. But I wonder, do you have confidence in your relationship with God to know that when 
to know when this is required and when you can make a decision out of your union with Christ. Do you actually understand that even if you make a mistake, even if you make a poor decision, God is able to turn that around for his glory. God is able to take our shortcomings, our mistakes, and turn them into good, not just for us, but for his glory. Secondly, Solomon says our plans will be established. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. The takeaway for me is that while our plans are established, it doesn't say the desires of our heart will necessarily be met. I'm sure you've experienced what I'm referring to. What we plan doesn't always happen as we'd expect. Yet we can see God's hand at work to accomplish more than we ever ask or expect as we look back on life. How many times have you seen God grant your desires, though not the way you had planned? And while there may have been worry, confusion, or even discouragement on our part, we can look back over time and see the sovereign work of our great God has been operating for our ultimate good. How do we balance the two sides of the coin Solomon describes? How do our plans, purposes and goals, our desires better align with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Commit your plan and your plans will be established. Commit your work, the desires of your heart, your dreams and goals, those things that inspire you and excite you. Commit these things to God and your plans will be established. Well, the final verse uh, in our text for today is verse 4. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. I have a confession to make. Um, When I was given this passage to consider, um, once I got to verse 4, I wasn't quite sure how it fitted in to the previous three verses. Proverbs isn't always sequential in its thoughts. And so I actually went to Shibu and I said, I'm really not sure how it fits. And, and he was very gracious. He said, well, if, if you're struggling, it's okay. Just stick with, the, stick with the three that are there. And so I went away and continued to pray about it. And as I did, I started to see that indeed there is a connection. And the connection is this, I believe. It's the danger of comparison. And it's a very, it's a very real one that we have in the world that we live in. Sometimes our plans for the future are based on what we see others have. God's purposes are even fulfilled by those who would rebelliously reject his truth. But there's a subtle trap there for us. To look at what the world has to offer, to look even what other godly people perhaps have, and to cause that to be the desire of our heart. Sometimes we look at what others have or get away with and think how unfair the world is. The psalmist on many occasions said the same thing. This is not fair. Why do the wicked prosper? Jeremiah says the same thing to God. God, why do the wicked prosper? And there is a temptation at times for us to be swayed in our thinking and therefore the plans and dreams that we have by what others are doing, by what others have. Someone's got a bigger house. I'd love to have those relationships that 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 individual has. I wish I had those ministry gifts. I wish my retirement plans were like theirs. 
may we, by God's grace, not plan to walk the way of the world based on what we perceive they have. For ultimately, whether we're rich or poor, we will all stand on an equal footing before God and be judged not according to our power or our wealth or our intelligence, but by how we have responded to the claims of Christ. So as we conclude, Shabu kindly put the uh, clock on up at the wall there that um, is actually working now, and he said, make sure you take notice, so I'm taking notice. In conclusion, in conclusion, can I encourage, encourage you to consider five things, and don't worry, they won't take long. Firstly, be content. Friends, be content with where you are at with the Lord. I may never know the plans God has as to the hows and whys of my childhood. I don't know why my mother died before I had the chance to talk to her about Jesus, but God knows. He may never choose to reveal his purposes, but I have complete trust that what he has planned for me is right and proper. Friends, you may never know what your life, why your life has taken the direction it has, but throughout the highs and lows, whether as a result of your own foolishness or for reasons you cannot know or understand, the one constant is that in the midst of this, there is one who will always stand beside you, who has never ceased to be there, who will continue to do so. You know, one of my favourite Old Testament stories is Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. A, a, a threesome that, that were required to bow down to an idol and they refused. And the king comes to them and says, if you're not going to bow down, you're going into the furnace. I love their response and I, I want to say honestly and openly that in the opportunities that we as a pastoral team have to journey with people, God's people who are going through trials, we see this response time and again and it does our heart so good to see God's spirit at work. Their response is, King, I, we want you to know God is able to rescue us but if he doesn't, we will not bow down. If he doesn't, Praise be to God. That's faith. Be content. Secondly, embrace true wisdom. True wisdom is found in Jesus Christ. Even the wisdom of Proverbs, as I mentioned earlier, becomes a mere intellectual, intellectual exercise unless we see him as the ultimate expression of wisdom. Jesus, he's the living word, transforms our understanding from the abstract to the absolute. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 talks about this God destroying the wisdom of the wise. Why does God destroy the wisdom of the wise? Because Paul goes on to tell us that the world doesn't come to know God through wisdom. The world doesn't come to know God through their own intelligence, through their own might. Rather, true wisdom of God is found in and through relationship with Jesus Christ. We as a church, we would love, if you are searching, to be able to share more about finding true purpose, true wisdom that comes from having relationship with Jesus. We'd love you to talk to someone you trust. Church, don't hold too tightly to your plans, your goals, or your dreams. Maybe God has a different path for you. I love that term, God willing. 
I used to hear it a lot when I was younger. People would say, I'm going to do this or I'm going to do that, or this might happen, God willing. I don't think it's quite as common now, and I think maybe it's because perhaps people have just used the term flippantly. But I love the term. I actually use it quite a bit because I want to always remind myself that God is in control, that God willing, these things will transpire. And if not, praise be to God. I actually, um, um, as we move on to point three, want to encourage you with this thought. Oh, sorry, um, we're already in point three. I have a CD in my car. I have a CD in my car and there's only one CD. Um, I only ever have one CD in my car and my kids are sick of it, I'm sure, because they know whenever they hop in my car and I press CD, it's this CD that plays. And one of the songs is about discovering God's plan for you. And in that song, there's, there's a phrase that has become uh, something that God has continued to remind me of over a long period of time. And this is what it says. In regard to the plans of God, could it be that he, that is God, could it be that God is simply waiting there to see if I will learn to love the plans that he has dreamed for me? I wonder if the purpose of committing whatever we do to the Lord is an opportunity for the master to work in us. The desire, passion and joy to walk the path that he has set for us. You know, when David was told that he couldn't build the temple, the house of the Lord, He didn't go and sulk. He didn't go, oh no. I had these dreams. I've had these goals. This is what I've been planning for and God's rejected it. Do you know what David did? He set about building a resource fund so that his son Solomon would be able to build that temple. Friends, be thankful. Be thankful that our sovereign God is able to take even our worst mistakes and create a masterpiece. In the Creator's hands and by His infinite grace, our weakness can be used, and it is used for our good, to bring Him glory. Finally, avoid being seduced by the luster of the world and what the world has to offer. May our plans be God-focused, not on the fleeting pleasures of this world. Desires that will be burned up, possessions that will be destroyed, and will be found worthless in the end. As the music team comes up, let let me pray for us. Father God, I want to thank you for the joy, for the privilege of just having a short uh, amount of time in the book of Proverbs. I pray that you would teach each one of us, regardless of where we're at in our walk with you, whether we know you, whether you are far off. Oh God, teach us what it means to find true wisdom in and through our relationship with Jesus. Teach us the, the power of true wisdom. May we not hold on to our plans and goals so tightly that when you have something else in mind, it sends us into, um, into turmoil. Lord God, teach us to be thankful that we have a God who sometimes, despite ourselves, turns our own weakness into miracles. Lord God, thank you that as a church fellowship, we can boldly say our God is able But even if he doesn't, praise be to God. Thank you for the testimony of your people. Pray that from this place you will continue to cause your word, your spirit to flow out, to touch other people's hearts. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.